This is the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Are we saints in comparison to the United States when it comes to border crossings? Let's bring in Robbie Jane, partner, managing senior lawyer, Green and Spiegel, and on the air now. Robbie, thanks very much for the time. Much appreciated. My pleasure, Scott. Nice to, nice to be on the show with you. So what are your thoughts when you see what's going on uh, south of the border? Well, you know, it's depressing to see what's going on. I mean, the president is basically saying he wants to turn everyone away. Of course, he was imprisoning children. Um, you know, the United States signed the 1951 Refugee Convention, and the convention specifically says that the signatories to the convention can't turn people away when they're fleeing persecution. You've got to give them a chance to make their case in case they really do have a well-founded fear of persecution. So that's a big problem, what he's saying, that just turn him away. Uh, and that you shouldn't have, um, you know, he's not going to bother taking the approach of hiring a bunch of judges and, 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 you know, having them go through the determination process. Where is this going? Uh, he has signed this order, in, in, starting this whole thing, zero tolerance, and then, of course, uh, uh, backstepped on it, saying that uh, he, he wasn't going to uh, separate uh, children from their parents, mm-hmm. uh, although he didn't seem to understand when he started this what the end process uh, would be. Mm-hmm. Uh, that being said, where, where does this end? How does he come out of this with a Donald Trump win? I mean, who knows? I mean, you know, first he says he's, you know, I mean, he says it was really the Democrats that did it, which is, of course, fake news, right? I mean, yeah. like, he, had, he, had, he was the one who did it. He had the power to do it. Then he had Sessions, Attorney General, basically quoting the Bible, saying that this was a, you know, a, a good, humane thing to do because people have to respect the law according to the Bible. You know, so then, then you know, there's so much. It's one of the first few times I've seen him walk back something he's done, right? Usually, you know, when people attack him, he goes on the attack even more aggressively. So, but here's, you know, maybe his wife uh, had a role, although she wore kind of an unfortunate, um, you know, coat. Yeah. Um, which I think everyone heard, sort of heard about. <laughs> and who knows what that was about? But I mean, but at the same time, she's there and she's been on record saying she cares about not separating kids. So maybe it was internal family discord. I have no idea. But at the end of the day, you know, maybe he just realized that, you know, it was, you know, Republicans and Democrats alike were just saying this isn't who we are, right? This isn't, this isn't what, you know, American values are all about. And so, you know, it, it, is, it was a real problem, um, obviously, separating them. Now he sort of proposed that, you know, they're going to be jailed together because he is jailing them, right, um, which is different from the Canadian approach. So he's jailing everybody. Um, but then, you know, there is a law that says you have to sort of let the kids out within 20 days. So, so I don't think he's quite figured it all out yet. I think he's, you know, he's probably, um, you know, just reacting and, and scrambling. Um, but we'll be interesting to see what he ends up coming out with. All right. Many have uh, complained, obviously, and, and, and showed their uh, displeasure with how Donald Trump is handling this. It has also made lots look inward on how they're handling their own scenario. Uh, draw comparisons between Canada and the United States. Well, I mean, you know, Trudeau basically denounced it. Um, the detention of children is unacceptable. That was, um, I guess, five days ago. Uh, six days ago, uh, Minister Hussein, who's the Minister of Immigration, has also publicly criticized the process. Um, you know, we will look at, when we detain people, uh, we look at whether they are a flight risk and whether they're a danger, danger to the public, whether um, we're trying to sort out their identity, 
and whether they're inadmissible. So those are the four things we kind of look at when we're looking at detaining people. But generally speaking, you know, um, we're not detaining uh, refugee claimants. And uh, that's because, I think, in part because, first of all, we don't get uh, nearly as many. Uh, we're, we're insulated, um, you know, in the sense that, you know, we don't have a large group of people that are, you know, uh, trying to constantly come in. We have certain waves, and we've seen that because Trump's been sort of turning them away or announcing that temporary protected status is ending for certain groups, and so you see them coming up. Uh, but generally speaking, Canada is, um, you know, it, it just by by geography, is sort of protected. So, um, so that's that's one part of it. Is that if we if we had a different geography, maybe maybe Canadians would be more inclined to incarcerate. I don't know, but but um, the other part of it is that people tend to show up to their refugee claims, and that's because. You know, uh, they go through the process. They aren't detained. They, you know, they're they're able to uh, access interim federal health. They're able to get work permits. Uh, the Conservative government tried to to make the process much quicker and legislated that. But then the Immigration Refugee Board, which is the independent tribunal, you know, just because there's been there's been these recent waves, in part began because of what Trump's doing. Um, you know, there's been delays, uh, and and you know, so so people tend to you know, to, to go through our system, and some of them are accepted. And that's also because although it's a universal definition of what a refugee is, you have to have a well-founded pers- fear of persecution for, on the grounds of race, religion, nationality, political p- opinion, or particular social groups, one of those five grounds. Although that's sort of all, you know, it's all accept- it's the same definition in the convention, each country will enac- enact it domestically. So what that means is that the U.S., you know, like we, we heard, we saw with domestic violence, the U.S. was basically saying, well, that's not going to be a ground anymore. Well, that's a big problem for us because, you know, we know that, you know, some countries, you know, the state is not able to protect women against domestic violence. And so for us, that would be a ground of refugee, um, you know, a, a ground for refugee claim, and we might accept them. So because we have different interpretations, some some people might feel more comfortable going through our process than the state. So, so that's sort of a bit of a difference between the two. We have been hearing more and more of late, although not so much this summer, uh, maybe because the stories just died down or it, people are, it's become the new norm. But for the last couple of years, it's about people coming through the fence and what are we going to do with them? And this keeps speeding up and speeding up and speeding up. How many that are coming into Canada are actually permitted to stay? How many are sent back? Well, I mean, that's, we're, still, we're still getting a sense of those numbers. Um, you know, it does. It does. It's very much dependent on where they're coming from, what the ground is. I mean, for sure, some are economic migrants, right? And that's there's a big distinction there. And you know, there are there are some define that, economic migrant. What do you mean? Well, by that? someone who's basically just coming in because they want a better life for themselves, right? Mm-hmm. And that's not a refugee. And so they they would be properly refused. And the immigration refugee board refuses people all the time because they don't have a well-founded fear of persecution. They're just coming in because they want to make a better life for themselves. I mean, you, you can't just sort of show up at our border, you know, make a refugee claim and expect to stay just because, you, you know, you, you, you can't really get, you know, a job back in your home country, and, and you know, so Canada's going to take care of you. No, that's not how it works. And so that's why the conservatives are saying, look, let's just designate the entire, you know, like if you're coming into the States, designate the entire border, um, you know, uh, as part of the safe third country agreement, because the safe third country agreement says if you're coming from a, a so-called safe country, 
you know, you can just, you could have made a claim there, so right. we're going to send you back, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what, and so that's what the conservatives are saying. But I guess, you know, my response to that is sort of what I alluded to earlier, which is that as Canada and the United States are diverging, because we enact the convention domestically in our own laws, and as we are diverging in our interpretations of it, um, you know, I think that we can increasingly say that, it, you know, we can't rely on the states anymore and to that government to give refugees a fair shake because they said like they've seen we've seen it with the domestic violence cases where you know some of those countries they aren't able to protect women you know and i had a case years ago uh from guyana and the guy went after her in canada you know and tried to kill her and then she was about to, he was deported and she was going to be deported and i said look if you deport her the mm. police don't have a record there of protecting women and she'll be killed yeah. and so uh, eventually she was accepted under humanitarian grounds so there's a real divergence between the two definitions so so, I, so what's the answer? I mean, the answer to me, to my mind, is you can't say that it's a safe country, a safe third country anymore for the United States. Um, what do we do to discourage people who are economic migrants? Because they, they, you don't want them hanging out for two or three years, you know, getting our social services, working, et cetera, when really they don't, they don't really fear persecution. So the answer is we've got to staff up at the Immigration Refugee Board, the mm. government has to spend some money, get some immigration judges, what we call board members, and we've got to make sure the process is going through quickly so that we send the message that, you know, if, if you're really an economic migrant, you're going to be deported relatively quickly. But we do have to give, because we signed the 1951 Refugee Convention, we have to give people a fair shake to have their day in court, and we have to be able to protect people. And I think Canadians you know, want to be able to offer refugee protection to those who are genuine refugees, and we have to be able to offer that to those that are, so we have to give those protections. Donald Trump has publicly said that he is looking for an immigration system similar to Canada's, and that's away from the lottery system and more on a, a merit-based system. What, mm-hmm. point, what point is Donald Trump missing here? No, I mean, I don't necessarily blame him on that, because the reality is they're two-thirds family class. And I guess that's, a, that's the point that I'm trying to make here, yeah. Ravi, is that, you know, if he was to stand up and say, and politely say, you know, I'm just looking for something more like what Canada has, he'd mm. probably be getting less resistance. But instead, yeah. he, he, he may have a great idea in his head, but because he's a bull in a china shop, nobody's listening mm-hmm. to a word he's saying. <laughs> well, and that's true. And I, I would sort of distinguish the two issues. I mean, I don't think he's being fair on refugees. I don't think he's respecting the convention. Um, and I think that, you know, he should hire, hire more judges and have a quicker process and then deport those who are economic migrants. So, so I may, you know, I don't agree with his approach there, but what I, what I do think he's got a point about is that, you know, Canada um, has, you know, roughly two-thirds of our immigrants are economic immigrants in the sense that we choose them, you know, um, so they, they want a better life, but we're choosing them based on our point system or whatever categories we have. Um, and only one-third is sort of, you know, spouses and, and parents and that kind of stuff, right? And parents arguably, um, some people would argue that, you know, if they're coming in quite elderly, they're going to use our health care system. They haven't paid into the, you know, the tax base, but then you can counter that with saying, well, of course, their kids have, though. But anyway, so whereas in the United States, the, it's, it's, very, it, it's the exact opposite. So two-thirds are family class, and he complains about the chain immigration where you, you know, bring in someone, they sponsor someone, because you can sponsor a wider variety of family cl- of family members. You can sponsor brothers and sisters and that kind of stuff, whereas um, in Canada you can't. Uh, so, so they have more categories and more family class immigration than we do and less economic. So he's saying, looking to Canada, saying, well, why can't we get more people who are, 
you know, going to be selected strictly because of their ability to hit the ground running in the, you know, in the labor force. And um, so I think he's got a point there. I don't see, I don't see why the United States can't tweak their, their system to be a bit more like Canada's and, and select more economic migrants. That's just a policy decision by politicians who are elected. And if they want to do that, I don't see anything wrong with it. Where do you see this going? Where are we one year from now on this? Well, um, you know, that's an interesting question because, you know, with Trump, it's so unpredictable. I mean, if you're talking about Canada, I think Canada is going to be looking at the Safe Third Country Agreement. They're going to be trying to negotiate, tweak things. Um, I don't think that Can you tweak? Let me ask you this. Can you tweak things, Ravi, and then, I don't know, in two years, he's out. Uh, then what do you do? Uh, can, you, can you change these policies that quickly uh, based on that guy who's elected right now? Well, I think, you know, he can, he can always, you know, he could be pushing more and more would-be refugees or economic migrants or what have you, more asylum seekers, let's call them, into Canada, um, just like we've seen. You know, we've seen him pushing these waves of people into Canada, and I think that, you know, we could see more and more of that, and I think that, so hopefully the government will heed our advice and, and hire more refugee judges and make the process quicker. Um, so that we deter those who are economic migrants on the Canadian side. On the U.S. side, you ask me to predict Donald Trump, I just cannot do it. Mm. You know, I just, I really can't. I mean, the guy, um, you know, is unpredictable. And I think that it could be, we're gonna, you know, he's going he's gonna to be dealing with court challenges, and we'll see if the Supreme Court, sta- you know, stands up to him on, the, on these issues. But and some of these things are just clearly illegal. Like, they're signed the convention, you know, so what does that mean? Is he going to pull out of the refugee convention? Like, I mean, you know, I mean, is that within the realm of possibility when it comes to Donald Trump? I suppose it is. I have to say it is because he's just such a, you know, firecracker, right? Your thoughts on the U.S. Supreme Court has uh, just decided to uphold the Trump administration's travel ban, rejecting a challenge that it discriminated against Muslims or exceeding his, exceeded his authority. I guess this right. is on the whole national security issue. Yeah, I mean, I think that what they're saying there is because he watered it down, saying, "Look, we're not going to have a blanket rule saying all these anyone from these countries, you know, can't come in." Uh, there are, you know, humanitarian exceptions that uh, the U.S. Customs and Border Protection Agency and others are able to, um, you know, and he said the State Department visa officers are able to exercise discretion in certain cases, like if there's, you know, someone needs medical attention or you know, compelling need to be with family for whatever other reason. So, so because he didn't make a blanket statement, uh, the Supreme Court has said, look, there's discretion, so we're going to allow it. But what's interesting about this is that he said the State Department officials, the people who issue the visas, that's the State Department, he said that they would have discretion, and that's, you know, that was part of his sort of pleading. But in reality, the State Department is sort of on record. I mean, they're not, well, there are people who've leaked it. And, um, and I think, you know, anyone who knows anything about how it's, it operates can tell you that what they do is they, they send it to Washington. So someone applies for a visa, they're from one of these countries, it goes to Washington to decide, and that's the executive. So it's not really the State Department making these decisions. So um, I think he was disingenuous there, and I think that there could be... Um, you know, potentially further review down the road on this, but uh, unless the Supreme Court was hoodwinked, but, um, you know, that's, uh, I, I just have a real problem with how they said the State Department, you know, has discretion on these cases because, um, you know, I know that it's decided in Washington by the executive branch, so. Ravi Jane has been with us, partner, managing senior lawyer, Green and Spiegel. Ravi, thank you so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Hi, pleasure, Scott. Have a great day. 
You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. The U.S. Supreme Court has decided to uphold the Trump administration's travel ban. We're going to talk about that and a myriad of other things with Michael Tobe, Troy Media Syndicated columnist, contributor to The Washington Times. He is with us now. Michael, thank you for the time. Much appreciated. Oh, my pleasure as always, Scott. Uh, before we get into the travel ban, your mm-hmm. thoughts on uh, what happened over, I think, the week you were away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there, is no, there is no taking any time off from this, Michael. The world just keeps on spinning. Your thoughts on what's happened along the U.S.-Mexican border? Well, I kept my phone shut, so that was my way out of it. Good but for you. Actually, Good for you. I tend to on vacations. But, yeah, no, 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 I saw it, and I, I was up to date with it. And, yeah, I mean, look, the whole thing was quite offensive because, really, it had much to do with who employs Sarah Huckabee Sanders. That's what they were really frustrated about. And as I said to some people last week who were, you know, just talking on social media or privately to me about it, well, imagine if this had happened and we had the scenario played over with an Obama staffer. Mm. Imagine if that had been done. I mean, unfortunately, the door could have been open to that and the political left would have been fuming right now over it. And you know what? Understandably so, because it doesn't matter whether you are a Republican by your political partisan position or your political ideology or whatnot, or a Democrat, you should be served in the establishment. And it isn't even necessarily about what Sarah Huckabee Sanders stands for or believes in. They dislike the fact that she works for a man, that being President Donald Trump, who they don't particularly like. And I think the interesting part about it, and this is the, the carryover, which has not fully been confirmed as of yet, but it looks like it may have been true, is Mike Huckabee, uh, her father, the, the former governor who did run, actually in the 2016 U.S. presidential election, to try to get the nomination there, and also tried in 2012, too. The former governor of Arkansas basically was speaking to Laura Ingram, who is a host on Fox News but has her own radio show, and they were speaking on the latter. And he suggested that, well, it didn't quite end there, other, aside from what his daughter said. In his words, apparently... His in-laws uh, tried to eat at another establishment, and ironically, he said the in-laws are apparently Democrats and liberal at that. And from what Mr. Huckabee is saying, and this, again, has not been fully confirmed, apparently the owner of the restaurant, and maybe others, went along with them across the block and started harassing them when they went into a second restaurant. Now, if that part of the mm. narrative is true, that really actually confirms that they were just basically trying to rip apart a person and her family and her in-laws for absolutely nothing except partisanship. And I don't care whether people like Donald Trump or hate Donald Trump who are listening to this station. That's just wrong. No, nah, that's not right. All right, your thoughts on how he is handling what is going on the U.S. border, the detain, the separation of uh, family and, and kids? The whole thing has been awful, period. I mean, the family separation policy was completely and utterly offensive. And it's as simple as that. You do, I mean, anybody who is in politics, if we just want to use that factor, and has a little bit of sense, or horse sense, if you wish, would have realized that the family separation policy, even if you had implemented uh, it to some extent or tried to kind of twist the meaning a little bit based on what the Trump White House did with an existing policy in late 2017, is completely foolish because in, in, in life in general, you don't separate mothers with their children. That is just, 
that's not even politically viable. It's not even something that should be considered. And yes, I know that obviously Trump White House officials try to sort of explain away, saying that the law kind of covers it, and you know, and it's not going to be permanent, but it was just sort of a measure to ensure things happen properly, et cetera, et cetera. Well, Scott, come on. I mean, I don't see how anyone could actually support something like this because it's just not, it's not even acceptable in humanity and it shouldn't be acceptable or tolerated in society. And that's why a lot of conservatives, including, it should be noted, people within the Trump White House who were opposed to it, stood, up, stood against it. And I think that in the end, they probably huddled, that being in the, the White House per se, realized that this was a huge mistake, and then Trump issued the executive order to do away with it, which is fine. It should never have been implemented in the first place. But now you're left with the problem of roughly 2,300-plus families who have been completely affected by this horrible policy. And with Congress coming very close to standing for the summer, it should probably happen within a couple weeks' time or less, there is, right now, there doesn't even seem to be a resolution or a strategy even in place to actually deal with this mess. And it has to be dealt with. You bring you know, up a valid point. Uh, there, there isn't a strategy. There doesn't. He, he seems to be changing direction on you know any given day. When this after this started and and it started to hit the press and and, and the media and such, uh, he re, he uh, retaliated by saying by blaming the Democrats and saying right. that it was their problem and so on and so forth that, that that they created all of this. How is that over and above what your feelings are on the issue in America, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. how is that playing that he appears that he doesn't know what he's doing? Well, there's two things at play, and you said one of them, and that's quite correct, that he blamed the Democrats. There is certainly no doubt that there have been stringent policies about immigration for decades. That is true. And they were around during the days of Bill Clinton. So it is actually acceptable to say that the Democrats are partially at fault. The difference here is that the U.S. president is saying that the Democrats are all at fault. And that's not valid because both previous Democratic and Republican presidential administrations supported the measures that were in play. But the direct change actually happened. The family separation policy, or the interference to separate, shall we say, mothers and fathers with their children, was only implemented in late 2017, and it was directly acknowledged by the Trump White House that they were going through this, the zero-tolerance policy, so to speak. So, uh, you know, it just doesn't sit very well to say that it's all the Democrats' fault. Yeah, part of the blame for sure. But the Trump White House, more than anyone else, perpetuated a lot of it by moving the family separation policy, which now no longer exists, into play. But as to how it's being dealt with in the United States, I think that unfortunately, and you and I have talked about this many times in the past, and we don't have to keep going over old ground, it's a very partisan atmosphere right now in the U.S., and... It really just depends which side of the fence you're on. Yeah, but at what point? At what point do we stop saying it depends which side you ask, or if you're talking to the base or not? Because you know, especially with the with the situation with Harley Davidson, I think he's he's dinking with the base. So you know, at at what point does the base say, you know, I I maybe agree that you know of a strong stance on immigration, but what he's saying isn't making any sense, and I challenge his 
his his ability to his capacity to handle this stuff to 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 see to see it through like for example when this yeah. when he signed in the zero tolerance policy mm-hmm. didn't somebody say you know you're going to end up with a pile of kids separated from their parents i mean how did they not see this coming well it's not that they really didn't see it coming as you've probably seen and you may have discussed on your show as well there have been various reports coming out in the press, the media, and just things that are being leaked out, stating that the tone and tenor of the Trump White House has changed a lot since the very beginning. For example, in the first year, Donald Trump, even if he didn't pay necessarily attention or follow the ideas of others, liked the combative nature of the White House. He had people on one side of an issue, people on another side. They fight it out on the table, yelling, screaming, and Trump would ultimately just go with whatever he supported, but he liked that kind of give and take, and I think it was actually quite similar to the way he operated his business for a period of time. More recent reports now suggest that when people meet with the U.S. president, that being Donald Trump, they don't challenge him as much anymore. Donald Trump now wants people, according to news reports, on side with everything. So if the president says boo, everybody else says boo. It's as simple as that. He doesn't now, or I don't think he appreciates any longer, the give and take that he had during his first year, and I think he now wants more unity specifically around his own ideas. So to get back to your question about the base, uh, it may sound like a soft answer, but the base is completely frustrated right now. I think that many of them would like to either praise or criticize the U.S. president in a decent manner, you know, either saying that, well, we really like this policy about tax cuts or the way that you're handling the Iran nuclear deal, getting rid of it, etc., or criticize them for saying, that, well, you know, although the summit went well, why would you meet with a, a tyrant or a, a possible murderer like Kim Jong-un? Why would you consider inviting Russian President Vladimir Putin to the White House, which is still being discussed right now? But the base doesn't know how to react and doesn't know how to handle things. Because, quite frankly, what's really happening in the U.S. is that the American conservative movement is really in flux. They don't know which way to turn. They realize that Donald Trump, no matter what he does, both good and bad, is, is working either for or against them in many ways, but often against them. It's more the latter than anything else. And when you have an albatross around your neck, you have to find a way to get rid of it. They don't know how to do it without possibly sacrificing the White House in 2020. And, you know, as frustrating as it may be to deal with Donald Trump on a regular basis, I think you can say two things. One, Donald Trump probably finds them frustrating to deal with, that being the Republicans on a regular basis. And two, you still need to have that political bridge between all three levels of government, the executive, the legislative, and the judicial. But specifically in this case, the executive and the legislative have to work together, that being the president and that being the Congress. Mm. And without that in play, well, it's completely it's just a complete disaster. So the base right now just doesn't know what to do. And the midterm elections in November may determine, I guess, the next couple of years and the way Washington operates. If things are like this when he has control of these, what it, will it be like after the midterms? And are we naive to, to, to think that he's going to lose in the midterms? Well, look, number one, I mean, if you, if you use history as a standard, uh, you could be looking at Armageddon after November of this year. I mean, it could be just that bad. And you're quite right, when Donald Trump has everything, including the Supreme Court behind him, and he still can't get things through or he's struggling 
with different things. Although, you know, it should be noted, and we'll probably cover it quickly, the travel ban that he's fought over a long period of time finally was now upheld by the U.S. Supreme Court earlier today. So at least he caught a victory in that sense of the word. Um, it just unfortunately does not bode very well. And yeah, I, I don't know what things would look like after the midterm elections. It could be completely crazy. Or on the other hand, if you truly believe in the U.S. system of government, the presidential system they operate on, maybe that having a check on the presidency, which currently does not exist right now, is possibly a good thing to kind of ensure that some of the zany ideas that President Donald Trump has, you know, he has good ideas, but he also has some pretty weird ones, maybe some of the latter, the zany ideas, will start disappearing when he realizes that, say, he doesn't have control either of the House of Representatives, the Senate, or both. So it actually may actually help self-correct uh, a really shattered political system that exists in the U.S. But again, it all depends. You know, if somehow or other the Republicans hold both houses and maintain control of the Congress, or if they lose the Senate, which is a pretty likely occurrence because it's so tight right now, it's only a majority of one, mm -hmm. and they somehow held on to the House of Representatives, it still gives them a huge foot in the door and still gives them enough control that maybe somehow or other they can just find a way to work together, even if both sides, that being the Republican-controlled Congress and President Trump, just don't see eye to eye in a lot of things. Uh, all right, let's talk about the travel ban. Uh, the Chief Justice John Roberts wrote, the, president, uh, the presidents have substantial power to regulate immigration. He also rejected the challenge's claim of an anti-Muslim bias. Right. But, he, but he was careful not to endorse either Trump's provocative statements about immigration or, in general, Muslims in particular. Quote, we express no view on the soundness of the policy. What does that mean? Well, the majority opinion, which is, was written by Chief Roberts, as you, as you basically alluded to in reading some of the passages, is exact, I mean, you've interpreted exactly correct. I mean, basically what they're saying is that the presidency, or the president in this case, has the ability to put these, these things through. And certainly something like a travel ban is within his prerogative. He is allowed to push this through if, number one, it goes through both the House of Representatives and the Senate, and B, passes through the typical hurdles of discussions and committees and various other things that all pieces of legislation in the United States go through. But you're right that in the majority opinion, Roberts and others chose not to actually use the language directly associated with Donald Trump and the White House in particular, and just use the argument that the presidency has the absolute power, or the, or the power anyway, to produce and create and pass legislation like this. I think that's probably the best way to handle it, where it will obviously frustrate a lot of people. Some people will say, but look, the Ninth Court objected to it. They said that, you know, that we're not going to allow this travel ban to go through. Well, there's a political nature to all of this that I think some people realize, but a lot of people are missing. For example, the travel ban itself, was politicized because Donald Trump wanted that to go through, his advisors wanted to go through, and there's a fair chunk of Republicans who believe in it. So that's one, politi that's one item of politi politicization. The second item that was politicized would be the Ninth Court, because the Ninth Court that they went to in Hawaii is very, very liberal. So they basically lashed back at a president that they don't like, an administration they don't like, and a Republican Party they don't like, and basically tried to sort of wipe it out and just sort of push it under the rug, so to speak.
But the Supreme Court, in its own way, and this unfortunately goes back to the theory of judicial activism, which is a problem even in this country, in Canada, um, they basically, because of the fact that it's Republican-controlled, that being that the nominees who are in the Supreme Court are primarily Republican by a five to four margin, mm-hmm. with Neil Gorsuch, Mr. Trump's appointee, being sort of the ninth person, so to speak, that actually allows politicization to happen yet a third time to ensure that it goes through. So unfortunately, when people often say how much they hate politics or they don't want to be involved in politics, or more importantly, that, oh, politics doesn't affect my life, well, there's three instances right there in the United States where it affected the lives of every single American, whether or not they're affected directly or indirectly by this ban. But I think that overall the Supreme Court did the right thing. They basically put it through, you know, whether you love it or hate this idea is another issue in itself, but it, it basically is going through. It'll be there for about a year or so. And we'll see what the next stage is. What is the next stage? Where does this go from here? Is this issue over? How long no. does this last? Is it one year? Uh, I think it could go much longer. I mean, certainly the initial year is kind of uh, the jumping off point. I guess they have to sort of see there are, you know, there are seven mostly Muslim countries that are going to be affected by this ban. The question is, will it change the policies as they currently exist? Because from all of those Muslim countries, they have to produce documentation when they come into the United States for the reasons why they're here, be it um, business, be it pleasure, etc. This ban is now going to be a bit of a question mark because, A, will a lot of people be affected by it, which is possible, or B, will it turn off a lot of those people from those countries to the point where they just choose not to come in for a period of time, realizing, one, they can't, and two, if they try to, you know, God knows what will happen to them. So it's really just a question of how the world reacts to it, how Americans react to it, and how the system reacts to it. And it's that third one, which to me is the biggest wild card, because if there's a flood that tries to come in or challenge it, I don't see how they mostly can. I mean, they might just try to sort of, you, you know, like a little bit of a political stalemate. They'll try to go into the airport, try to fight for their rights, and they'll obviously lose, but this will give some lawyers some, you know, some fun fees or pro bono work to try and defend them. But on the other hand, if people seem to feel that this travel ban is of some benefit, and again, the benefit is something I can't even determine to you because I don't even know how this is necessarily going to affect day-to-day travel in the U.S. as of yet. If they see it as some sort of a benefit, well, then this extends way past the year because Trump can then come back and say that, look, the travel ban is working. You know, acts of terrorism or possible acts of terrorism have gone down, let's say, 30 percent or something else has gone down 20 percent. If they can produce facts, figures and statistics that actually show that it works to the advantage of the United States and to the safety and security of American citizens, even if you don't believe in it, even if you feel it's offensive, even if you feel it's racist in its in its genre, it, it may actually work to Trump's benefit and the White House's benefit because they can actually show something tangible that has come from it. Again, this is more of a It'll last way past a year. There's no question about that. Michael Tobe has been with us, Troy Media syndicated columnist and contributor to the Washington Times. Michael, as always, thank you. Much appreciated. My pleasure. Have a great day. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML.
Let's bring in Alyssa Freeman. Uh, Alyssa Freeman, uh, of course, public relations consultant. Alyssa Freeman PR. How are you, Alyssa? <laughs> I don't even know how I to got this that woman question. tweeting me saying that I'm making it up that Sarah Sanders never tweeted. And I'm reading the damn tweet on the air. Where do you get information like that, Alyssa? You know what? I was just starting to look up uh, your your uh, tweets just to see who is Vera and why is she saying No, she's that. emailing me. She's not tweeting. Oh, then I can't find it. So, yeah, I, I mean, it's well, like... conservatives are never wrong, Scott. I mean, this is the one thing that I... And, and then when saying. I pointed out... Not like, only are they not wrong, they can't even fact check because they've yeah, been tweeting don't and, say and conservatives. spamming. Don't say conservatives because I have voted conservative. Okay, well, so have I. I have voted I for mean, all three like political Trump parties. Conservatives. Oh, okay. All right, Trump Republicans, or those who align with his beliefs, have they're just sort of indiscriminate in their anger. So they've basically been spamming and sending hate email to any restaurant in the entire world. I know. I just talked to the poor lady in Collingwood. Named Old Red Hen. Yes. And without even a thought. So, A, I have to think, do Trump Republicans know where Virginia is? (laughs) Do they know it's a state in the union? Yeah. And do they or do they not care that they're just going to look up old red hen and get on, jump on the bandwagon? Like, it's hashtag stupid. Yeah. And, you know, I said to you the last time we chatted, I forget what exactly we were talking about. I think it was him blaming Donald Trump, blaming the Democrats for uh, the situation on the U.S.-Mexican border. Uh, when, of course, he has control. And and then, of course, he takes that back along with um, uh, stepping back on, on the actual separation of families uh, in these detention centers. And I remember asking you, like, are, are people over and above what your feeling is on the immigration issue, are people not understanding that he apparently does not seem to have a grasp of what is going on here and that he keeps changing his mind and at one point saying it's this and then the next point saying it's that. And my question to you was, are they buying this? And this is perf- this is proof that they are. This, this email exchange is proof that people are believing that Sarah Sanders didn't send a tweet. And not only that, but they always, you know, the people who are aligned with this ideology hear the first thing. So that's why Trump puts out all these falsehoods, because all he needs to do is put it out to his base, the best base in the world. We've got the best base. Of course you have the best base. It's not exactly the smartest base. So, you know, you say one thing and that's the gospel. Done, 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 done. Nothing else really needs to matter. So that's why you never have to back anything by fact. And that's why you're able to flip-flop and change your mind as if nothing ever happened 48 hours before. Uh, I wrote a piece, and I, 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 I disagree with this. how this restaurant ha- handled Sarah Sanders, uh, Sarah, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. I'm getting a little riled up about this one. Uh, that being said, um, you know, political views are no political views. They shouldn't have denied her service. Yeah, you know, Come on. the first time I've seen that happen, let me tell you a sort of a, a story and a joke. You want to hear it, Scott? Sure. Okay, back in the day when the Bush twins were in their clubbing phase, they were in, went to a club in New York, or a very hot restaurant, and they said, um, are there any tables? And the hostess says, no, there are no tables. How long is the wait? They ask. And the reply to the Bush twins was, four more years. 
<laughs> so people get pretty riled up, and it's interesting because yeah, you know, but that doesn't make it our, right. That doesn't we, make it right. Well, it's funny though, but it, you know, we we sort of forget our liberal sensibilities, and we're afraid to sort of. You know, sticks and stones won't break my bones. But sometimes I think you've got to drop the sticks and stones. And I know what Michelle Obama said, when they go low, we go high. But I've got to be honest. You know, I don't think the bar is that high to begin with. And I so just think... I just think wants to exercise their rights because they feel that other Americans are being denied their rights, Scott, yeah. then I think that they should be able to do so. And it's a two-way street. Furthermore... Stephen Miller, the true Mr. Devious and the architect of the separating children from the um, from their parents' policy, along with John Kelly, who is a current chief of staff, who floated the idea on TV, I think it was on Meet the Press back in November, Stephen Miller goes out to eat in a Mexican restaurant. Mm. Well, I'm sorry, Scott. Bye. Denied service. So, you know what? You, you, if you are going to... I don't know. Let me... Okay, so let me put this one to you. Or in this case, no food for you. Okay, so let me... And Vera's going to be very upset that I'm sticking up for Trump this way. Um, Or or at least Sarah Sanders. Um, The the staff had a vote with the owner. The owners... The the, the staff came to the owner and said, we don't want a server. Uh, They had a vote and they said, no, they don't want to serve her. So then the owner went to Sarah and said, we don't want to serve you. Here's the scenario. Very polite about it. And they left. That being said, the reason that they uh, chose to boot her out was because they didn't like Trump's stands on gay members of the military. If the scenario was switched around and it was a gay person that was kicked out of that restaurant for their uh, uh, different beliefs, this story would be entirely different. Yeah, it's but not, isn't it too it's bad not, that it, a gay not, person can't even order a wedding cake in some states, Scott? You're changing the subject No, now. I'm not. You're changing it's the same, the same Alyssa. thing. You're changing the name, Alyssa, or changing the direction of this. At the end of the day, two wrongs don't make a right. And I think that this restaurant is stooping to the level of Trump. No. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm sorry. I think that, listen, Sarah Sanders, I've been, I was reading quite a bit about her, albeit in liberal media, which they would call fake media, like the Washington Post and the New York Times, um, you know, not Breitbart, but uh, I don't know what kind of media you call that, but anyways, incendiary media, I guess, um, and they showed a clip of, you know, Sarah Sanders at a press conference. And when Sarah Huckabee Sanders wants to get out of a press conference, because honestly, when this is all said go done, quick. and yep. somebody does the compilation video of each and every one of her half-truths or well-spun truths or lies, it will be quite a scenario. Um, what they did was they showed a compilation of how she gets over questions. So you start to ask a question. She goes, you know what, uh, in, 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 because of the due course of time, you want to keep this short, let's move on. Okay, what's your question? That's exactly what I have to do here, Alyssa. We're out of time. Oh, you're kidding me. I'm not. I'm sorry. We've oh got to go to the news. you're right. Uh, okay. Alyssa Freeman, tomorrow. public relations consultant. Sorry, <laughs> Alyssa. We'll chat again. Have a great day. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML.